0: Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of The Successful Fashion Designer Podcast and today I'm chatting with Wendy Bendoni, who is a phenomenal fashion forecaster and trend scientist who's been working in the industry for over 25 years doing trend forecasting and Wendy walks us through her plethora of experience which includes a very big stint of time doing trend research at WGSN among many other agencies and she walks us through a lot of really interesting stories in terms of what trend research used to look like and forecasting used to be like and the cycle and the sort of formulas that that she would use to predict and spot trends and how those things have changed over the years with the introduction of social media and Instagram and Pinterest and all of the tools that we have available to us today. Um, She gives tons of great tips on how you as a designer or a merchandiser or even a buyer uh, can use various resources that you have at your fingertips to spot trends and to make sure that you are buying the right trends or that you are uh, creating the right trends for your fashion brand or for the brand that you work for and really, gives us a good overview and over uh, oversight on what you want to be looking for to make sure that you are spotting and staying up with the trends. Uh, we also touch a little bit on what you can do if this is a career path that you want to go into. Um, what are some of the skills that you are going to need to show that you have if being a fashion forecaster or as she now calls it a trend scientist because there's so much data behind what the job entails now but what are some of those specific skills and tools that you need to have in order to break into this type of a career I know you guys are going to love this episode so much. As always, thank you so much for listening. Um, Before we hop into the interview, quick friendly reminder that SFD is way more than a podcast. I have tons of ebooks, templates, tutorials on things like Illustrator, tech packs, portfolios, and landing your dream job. Uh, Most of my content, 98% of my content is absolutely free, and it is great supplement to what you hear, uh, on the podcast. So I want to make sure that you get all these resources and I know it's not something I talk about a ton. And so if you didn't know this, I, I do have people say to me, Oh, I just thought you were a podcast and then there's all this other stuff that you do. So I want to make sure you know about that. Um, the best way to do this is, uh, to go to my site at so Heidi.com slash email it's S E W H E I D I.com slash email, drop your information there. And I put together my best free resources just for you as a podcast listener Um, so take 30 seconds to do that and I promise you will be so pleased with all of the free resources and um, stuff that I have put together for you to help you in your fashion career all right as always you can access the show notes to check out any of the resources that Wendy mentioned in this episode by scrolling down wherever you're listening and now let's jump into the interview with Wendy Welcome, Wendy, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Um, Why don't you go ahead and start by introducing yourself and letting everyone know who you are and what you do in the fashion industry?
1: Hi. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. And, oh, okay, so who am I? (laughs) Um, Well, my name is Wendy Bendoni, and um, I am currently, I am a professor and chair of a, um, Marketing and fashion marketing department at Woodbury University. And I'm in the School of Business, and my focus is on marketing, fashion, lifestyle, beauty trends. And I've been at Woodbury for about 10 years now. um, But along with that, I also work um, with the fashion trade show um, Magic, WWD Magic, Social House. And for for a while, I was doing um, forecasting, and now I'm doing more trend science for them, which I'll get in more detail what that is. Yeah. And then before that, I mean, basically, I've been a fashion forecaster for about 25 years now. So oh, I'm loving this. And <laughs> I love my job, and that's yeah. kind of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So take us back to the beginning because fashion forecasting or trend research, as a lot of people call it, um, how did you kickstart your career in this space? What did that look like in the early days?
1: In the early days, well, you know, I didn't know really what I never had heard of the job, to tell you the truth, um, because it, it, you know, when you go to school, you know, you're going for fashion, but, you know, most of the time, I mean, fashion design, of course, but I was really never great with sewing. I never, I, I just really, it didn't come naturally to me. But I knew I loved fashion. And I felt I also had a really good business sense. So I ended up studying um, in fashion marketing, uh, which is funny because I actually studied. My undergraduate degree was at Woodbury University. And um, I also liked business and computers. And this was in the early 90s, totally dating myself. And I minored in computer programming. And one of our uh, field trips, we went to Cotton Incorporated. So Cotton Incorporated in London um, had these big trend walls. So you walk into a room, and if you can imagine, like a 10 by 10 room and a whole wall was dedicated to swatches, pretty much everything fashion lovers just dream of. Um, it's like Pinterest exploded and Went on a wall. Yes. And it was beautiful and it was inspiring and there was no limits. And basically, it was what was called their trend wall. And I was fascinated with this. I'm like, what what does this do? And they're like, well, at Cotton Corporate, we give direction um, for fashion designers and creatives to know what trends are coming. And that's when I kind of learned what this meant. Like, how do they do the re- research for this? And um, I often, even today, I ask my students, you know, do, like, research, and nobody really raises their hand or says anything <laughs> until until you ask if you're curious. Oh. You know? I mean, who's not curious? Who who doesn't want to know where things came from? Or, I mean, we have Google now and Alexa, but—and that, that kind of started it. It was like— well, how do I do this? <laughs> I'm from Los Angeles, you know. I, I would love to move to London, but I'm in Los Angeles. And um, I ended up coming back to LA and finding one of the only, um, there was Doniger at the time, and maybe one more, and then there was another company called Report West um, that focused, what was interesting, they focused on LA lifestyle and trends, where everybody else was focused on New York or Europe.
0: Wow.
1: Like oh. And um, I worked for them as an intern for two years. <laughs> you know, you pay your dues, but I I did that and then ended up getting hired at a fashion forecasting company here in Los Angeles.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, um, and what type of stuff were you doing during your internship, and then as you got hired? Like, what did, what was your what was your day to day looking well, like as a fashion
1: forecaster? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It's, it's like. Fashion fashion forecasting definitely has evolved. And this was, we have to remember on, when it comes to trends, this is when we still follow the rules of, we would search a trend like in Europe, um, and then you would bring the trend back, and then you would test it out that, you know, six months later, and then it would kind of evolve until, you know, then it went to the mass by the time summer came around. Uh Uh-huh. So it it followed, it was the best time to be a trend forecaster because it followed the curve, you know, the trend curve that we all kind of know. And the curve kind of said we would have time to test things out. And my daily job was to basically um, shop retail um, in Los Angeles. So here I am, 20 years old. They gave me a credit card <laughs> and said, go buy the 10 hottest selling dresses in retail. So the disclaimer was I was 20 years old and I was buying bridge. So I was buying Carol Little. I was buying brands that were not, I was 20. I was not wearing Carol Little. Yeah. But one of the biggest things I think in trends that, uh, that really tested me was not shopping in a necessary market, I was comfortable, but it made me learn because my personal taste didn't matter. I had to see what was selling, what was moving. Um, and that's where like my read, i worked for Nordstrom for forever. kind of put me through college, um, knowing retail because that's really it. It's, mm. it's what's selling. What you can customer have the actually most. Wants. Yeah. Yeah. It, And trend forecasters, you don't really get to be wrong a lot. Because if you're wrong a lot, they won't subscribe to your service. Yeah. So, you know, I'm shopping trends, but not, you know, like the traditional market that I knew. And it really made me learn what was new. Because when it comes to a trend, it's really some kind of shift of something different that's coming. Yeah. But you have to know you you have to know what's happened now. And you happen have to know what happened before. So if you're doing denim, you have to know what's selling right now really well, what sold last year, and what sold the year before, and then you'll be able to measure to see what's going to come in in two years, because there is a cycle. There definitely still a cycle. Now, you know, when I started, it was a very clean cycle that we would watch, and so I started that way, and. Um, I would take photographs of street trends. And, you know, I'm taking photographs in the early 90s. So that was not the norm. People did not take photographs of themselves. so Yeah, you're you're using film. (laughs) Yeah, I'm using film. And I'm taking pictures of people on the street. And they're like, why are you taking my photo? (laughs) And the only thing we had back then was Glamour magazine, the back of the magazine. They used to put, I don't even know if they do it anymore. But they put like a black, like, swipe across your eyes and said, don't wear your shoes like this. Do wear your skirts like this. So everybody thought I was doing Glamour magazine. Um, oh. <laughs> do's and don'ts.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and they're and, like dying. Like, am I going to make it in the do or the don't section? And i like,
1: please don't <laughs> do that. But, it's, but then here's the other thing. It's like I had film. So you had 24 pictures, you know, in a roll. Unlike with your, you know, digital or even your phone, you can shoot endlessly, but when you're shooting with film, you really have to like decide if that's the right shot. Right. Which, which I didn't know that really kind of trained me to have a better eye, not just to shoot everything, but to really see, okay, is this something that is moving forward? Do I want to take a photograph of that? And um, I think that kind of paved the way for, the next year for me so that was three years working as a forecaster and then by the the third year (laughs) our European correspondent decided to move and didn't want to do her job anymore so my boss said how would you like if I sent you to Europe five times a year to spot trends Hmm. yeah so I'm like just turned 23 and I'm like going Yes, yes, I can do that. <laughs> like, I can, I can go spot trends for you. Um, but you have to remember, I did not study fashion design. I studied marketing. We also had no Google. We had nothing. So I bought as many books as I could possibly buy on fabric. Fabric was the biggest thing because when you're a forecaster, you can't just say it's a soft fabric. Oh, the collar was kind of pointy. And it, you have to be able to describe what fabric that is. Oh, okay. And you have to be able to know identification of all the collars and sleeves and treatments. Because as you start writing about it, you have to be able to describe it in a way where the merchandiser or designer would understand. And, and I didn't really have that. I had an eye. I just needed to be able to... So I kind of put myself back through school learning. So whereas if someone was a fashion designer and wanted to get into forecasting, you also have to know the business. So yes, that beautiful dress you just picked out in Paris is definitely a forward trend. But is it feasible for the mass to to actually produce that? How much is that going to cost? And is that the direction you want to go um, and also the idea of uh, when you do forecasting you you so my boss made me I had to see all the movies and had to constantly keep looking at what trends were happening in music I still remember when I went to London and I'm like I came back and I wrote about this band and they're like Spice Girls what is that I'm like no it's a thing i tell you it's a thing. Yeah. We got to do it. Yeah. You know, so. Um, but, yeah, it's it's so it was a lot of I think in forecasting you and even, you know, I'll, I'll continue, you know, how it changed. But you have to be able to constantly educate yourself and why I didn't have the tools of, you know, the Internet and Google and all that. I had to read books, I had to understand theory, I had to read, know who, you know, Susie Mancus and know who editors were that were giving really good, strong opinions that would help me with my trends, read Variety magazine, and and um, magazines talked about movies that were coming out, and then that way when I went to Europe, I would have a better idea of what I was looking for. So. I could spot a trend, but know that it aligned with maybe a movie coming out, new things coming out. And, um, so I don't know if I'm going too fast or too slow, but you, you just, you know, just tell me if it is, I I love my story honestly, because forever, everybody told me that if I wanted to do forecasting, I would actually, it used to be New York, but then it turned into London. I had to move into London and, um, I didn't think I needed to, and my boss, also um, Bill Glazer, who's amazing, is still a good friend of mine, who started Report West in Los Angeles, he was like, you know what? We're going to take it from this LA point of view because it's it's more California lifestyle, so it's it's casual, and the idea is that when it's casual, it also goes to a bigger mass, as opposed to trying to pick cutting edge trends. We would take trends that were forward, but then translate it to a commercial market. Mm. So I, I always use a sample of like Nordstrom because let's say cargo pockets are a strong trend. I could find cargo pockets in everything from, you know, brass plum to very junior to savvy, even in the kids' market. All
0: the different departments. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Because it's across the board, how is the cargo pocket being translated? Even neon, you know, where in juniors it would be maybe more prevalent in, like, a in T-shirts and um, maybe socks, where then in savvy it was a piping that was done along a camel-colored jacket. Right, just you an know?
0: accent. Yeah, something subtle. But, it,
1: but it's a trend. It's, yeah. It's neon, but so we would basically take that information and um, at the time people were not designing on computers. Um, they were doing pattern making on computers. We had Gerber, we had all those but nobody was designing on computers Yeah. and because my boss was really kind of a futurist um, he decided to use a software called Super Paint. So Super Paint was before Illustrator. We didn't have <laughs> Illustrator. We had what was called Adobe Super Paint and But we had vector lines, and he decided to hire illustrators and teach them how to use a computer. And we started taking all the trends that we were getting and putting it onto the computer, but putting it in a way where you would get our report. This is in '95. Okay, that is like, what? <laughs> and But our clients would get our trends because you would get a book and photographs and, you know, write-ups. And then you would get a, <laughs> ready, a floppy disk and then eventually <laughs> a CD. And you would have vector sketches that you could take off the sleeve and alter it for your client. Yeah. And... Um, Fast forward, the library ended up getting put into the L.A. County Museum for our Los Angeles report because we were the only ones reporting on L.A. Trends. Nobody was reporting on L.A. Trends. It was always New York or across Europe or Japan. So when I would go out, I would buy – so I'm in Europe, and I would buy samples, but we would buy samples, and then I'd bring them back, and the illustrators would then put them on the computer. Um, but it also was a time where, you know, a client like BB was one of our clients at the time. Hey, can you send us, you know, three of the hottest dresses? Uh, what do they look like? And I would walk up to the fax machine and <laughs> fax it to them. Yeah. <laughs> the hottest trends. Um, but yeah, so then I guess on the other side of it, when it came to trend watching so here's my you know I'm 23 years old I've been to Europe once and that was when I discovered Cotton Incorporated and I decided that I wanted to get into forecasting so I'm 23 and now I'm going back to Europe and I'm going to Europe with a camera about 100 rolls of film and I started in Paris and I had the streets. I literally still have the maps that I highlighted because once again, no Google maps.
0: Oh, that's so cool.
1: Yeah, it's, and so here, go to Paris for two days and shoot trends and buy samples. And then I took a train to Belgium and then Amsterdam And then I go to Germany, so I'd go to Cologne and Dusseldorf. Then I fly to Rome, take a train to Milan, Florence, and then fly to London. And that was my role for 18 years, five times a year, just to do all the cities. And it literally was like the best—not only job, but I learned so much because people say, "Oh, you must have so many friends in all those countries." I did qualitative research. I had to sit and look at behavior and how people shopped. And did people shop with their friends? Did they shop on their own? When you go into a store, what does the displays look like? Um, how do the windows look? What So literally, I had a headphone on, and I just I watched how people shopped. There were certain cities like Amsterdam, you would go for denim. The best denim was always Amsterdam. G-Star was like from there. Like It was the place you would go um and the reason why designers would still go to europe but designers don't get almost three weeks to go all around europe you know maybe they got five days to do it yeah but they don't you know a designer they are merchandisers they don't have that kind of time to be away from their office that long right so we were kind of scoping it out for them they'd get the report but then they would always go okay we're starting a knitwear what 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 city is really good right now it's like any city right like when you shop your market you know what what area is good and what area is not good and it changes you know maybe this season you know i'm in los angeles so maybe you know uh, I don't know, Abbot Kenny in Venice is the hot new upcoming thing. And next next week it's Silver Lake because they have all these new stores that are opening up. And maybe next month it's Pasadena because they have a new area. So it changes. And that was my job also to look at, you know, is Amsterdam worth if you're a denim designer going there or um, did, I don't know, um, Cologne. Cologne was also very junior driven, where Dusseldorf was a little bit, um, a little bit more higher end and maybe I would send them there. And that, you know, that's kind of how that worked. And it was, it was a wonderful time to be a trend spotter because I love social media and we'll get into that, but <laughs> it was before we took down, you know the. One of the problems with social media in the fashion industry is that everything is so transparent. Everything is so real time that it's hard for designers and retailers to keep up with the speed because we're dealing with consumers that aren't committing as heavy as they used to commit to a trend. So for me, this was a very easy time to trend watch because... It, it worked like, you know, I could write the formula for you easily how to spot a trend. It was not as complex as it is now. And is that, does that make sense? I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, no,
0: it does. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. Um, before we dive into sort of like how things have shifted um, with, you know, technology and social media and all of that, um, I know you started out your career at, it was Report West, right? Yes. Yeah. And then you, um, if I'm not mistaken, you moved uh, to actually working for WGSN.
1: Yes. So WGSN yeah. in 90. 90- That's a fun
0: story. You've told it to me before.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, they were great. And and here's Bill Glazer, that my mentor who only wanted me to succeed. Seed. So in '97, um, uh, we met with um, we met with WGSN, and they came to Los Angeles, and we were the only really trend spotters there because Donagor had gone through a bunch of cycles, and it wasn't doing exactly what we were doing anymore. And and David Woof and I, we many times have ended up on the same street corner in San Jose, like fighting over photographs. <laughs> and, and if you don't know, if people don't know who David Wolf had, he really was the, the heart and soul of Doniger. Um, and anyway, so WG Sane came in and they go, we want to do trend service, but we want to do it all on the internet. We want to do it all on the computer. Now, once again, my boss, you know, Mr. Visionary, but he already committed to the software that we had at the time that we created called Snap Fashion, And he goes, I don't really feel I want to go on the internet. But he knew me, and he knows my love for computers. And after they left, I talked to him, and I said, I really want to work for that company, but I also don't want to leave here. What happens if I can work for WGSN, and I can get a job that won't conflict with here, but actually would help me here? And he he was great. I mean, what boss would say, "Yeah, I'll go work for basically somebody who's going to be a competitor"? Yeah. But the thing was, we weren't really because our client was very hands-on. They wanted to still touch fabrics. They wanted our vector-based sketches. They were the WGSN client. Was, you know, they wanted more of the math information. There were retailers that maybe more on the merchandising side. Going to design, but designers still, you know, we're still teaching designers to be on the computer. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't like you would walk into your design room and your boss would give you all computers. Like you had one you would have to fight for. (laughs) So it just wasn't, it, it wasn't anything that Bill felt was a threat. So on one of my trips to London, I went to the headquarters and Barbara Kensington was kind of one of the heads at that point. And I met with her, and you know, and it was very transparent. The company was very transparent. They knew I worked for the company I did, and you know, there was no. It's a very small industry. Like you, everybody knows everybody in forecasting. There is really no, like, you know, because it's it's somewhat limited. I mean, WGSN is huge, and I definitely don't know everybody that there, but people know of other people within the industry. Sure. And um, so basically, I started off as they had no representation in Los Angeles and the U S so I started doing, um, their street trends in New York and San Francisco, Seattle. And then in LA, I started reporting on new stores opening and what that meant to the area. So, which was great because I did not do this for bill and in bill, we never covered the cities that I was shooting. So, I did that for like uh, a little over seven years and I loved it and you know it's no secret but you know when big company when companies get bought out by other really big companies things change and the reason I left is because and everybody knows that worked for them time they got bought out by a really big publishing company and um, at the time even the even the owner knew I was going to have to step away. Yeah. It was just too much work for not enough money. Yeah. I mean, that's a...
0: This is a WGSN you left.
1: A, yeah. Yeah. And that was... And, and once again, I, I still knew the people there. It was still great. Um, and at the time, it just wasn't worth my time to do what I was doing. Yeah. And, and that's when I left. And then... After that, it was like, I mean, for WGSN, it was great. What was really funny is that I still was shooting in film. They didn't want (laughs) digital. And that was so odd. It was like, what? They wanted me to send photographs and my negatives.
0: Oh, so interesting.
1: So they were still learning, too. I mean, we're all still learning. It was, you know, it wasn't clear how to do things yet. Yeah. So... It was it was a big learning process, and what I also loved is that you know WGN has such a. They were already covering Japan and Korea. They were covering countries and cities that I'd never seen street fashion from. So, I actually loved getting more insight. Um, the other thing that we would work on that I liked was um, some random fact about me is that uh, when I was in my. I would say probably, well, basically from the age of like um, nine (laughs) to 15, um, my parents worked. So I went with my best friend to um, a skateboard park because her grandparents owned a skateboard park. So I was, that was my after school care was going to a skateboard park and we would do our homework and then we'd get endless tokens and be able to skateboard all day. And I became a skateboarder. So I competed and uh, Tony Hawk's mom wanted us more women in skateboarding. So she did what was called castle. So, I basically, we'd kick Tony out of his room and we would stay at his house when we would like compete. So yeah, so total skateboarder, like competed heavily for a very long time. And um, I told the story to WGSN and they wanted to do more stories on subcultures, which I love. Oh, yeah. And so I started doing things like that and writing some pieces for them. And then that's when I started realizing I liked doing... Writing about subcultures, because that honestly is one of the things you, you know, when you're looking for trends, you you don't want to just look at somebody that dresses from head to toe, you know, I don't know, Banana Republic, let's just say, you know, you want to find somebody that kind of has their own unique style and see how that lays. So coming from a skateboard background and kind of understanding what had changed and what was happening, I kind of took that over. Which is so, you know, people that I worked with were like, "What? <laughs> like, he skateboarded?
0: Yeah, you were like, like hanging out in Tony Hawk's bedroom. That's so cool. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Of course, he was a teen and he got kicked out. But, it was <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> but, but you know, that is part of forecasting too. And that was one thing WGSN taught me. And I had not known about that. I knew about what I'd learned from Bill, and. Um, in the middle of that, which I don't know if I shared with you, but... So I was, you know, this is pre-kids. I am officially what's called a workaholic. <laughs> I love work because I love my job. Yeah. I love my job. Yeah. So 96, I had actually started already working for another company that was Bill's best friend. Um, and it's called Design Options. And they do color forecasting out of Los Angeles. Okay. Okay. And she wanted to start a trend report called Lifestyle because it also was when we started looking at Urban Outfitters Anthropology, how you would go shopping and you would buy a candle and a book that was from the tropics that went with the tropical theme that they had in their clothing. Yeah. So Lifestyle Reporting was really cool because I got to look at things other than fashion but see how it ties into fashion. So
0: so you uh. said, yeah, no, 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 this is also cool. You said earlier that there, like, when you were doing this, you know, back in the early days before the internet and before social media and all of that, there was, like, a pretty simple formula. I mean, from what I'm hearing you say, it's a lot of you know, you look at all the different markets. You look at what's in retail. You look at what people are wearing in different cities. You look at, you watch customer behavior and see what people are buying and how they're interacting with the product. And then you pick up pieces from there and figure out sort of how to interpret it for the next season based on also knowing what the history of that direction might be. Um, Did I do a kind of decent job at summarizing? Yeah, Yeah, no, definitely. And so then, like, When and where and what was the shift that you guys had to adjust for as social media and Instagram came into play? And like you said, right now you think it's a lot harder. What does that look like now?
1: Basically, we were, um, we being the fashion industry, we were somewhat spoiled because we we had our system. Everybody had the system. And I like to refer to it as... You, you you have the runway shows and you have what I call the gatekeepers. This is a type of influencer that goes to the shows that is either a buyer or a reporter. And traditionally, we would wait for what was called the collection books or even Women's Wear Daily to post what was going on on the runway. Now, the collection books was the only way of getting information and seeing all the runway shows because you didn't have streaming and anything like that. So... When we started getting into the two thousands and this was all leading up to two thousand eight when, you know, big crash, yeah, big problems. Yeah. And, you know, even in two thousand, you know, when we started getting towards, you know, nine eleven after that, that was, you know, you had a lot of businesses that were going under. And we had to try to figure out there was a lot happening. And it, as a forecaster you know, you want to help your client because you want your client to do well. Um, nobody was really using the internet to track trends. So nothing, nothing had really started to interfere with the cycle until the world of bloggers came in.
0: Oh, and when did you guys kind of see that hit really
1: big? Well, I, so being me, um, I went back to school and decided to do my thesis on how the internet is contributing to fashion trends. Okay. So I did this in 2000 because I saw it already happening, but it wasn't anything that, you know, you had WGSN that was already ready to go, but you also had a lot of companies more like Bill that were not jumping on that bandwagon. Um, And it really, you know, MySpace was a conversation, so that was kind of coming in, Uh Um, but it still wasn't big. I would say, honestly, it was 2006, and 2006, so bloggers used to be referred to as citizen journalism. So citizen journalism was, you could write on the internet your own opinion about something and say... You know, for the first time ever, Donna Karen. Oh, I really don't like that. Mm-hmm. Nobody said nobody said that. You know, I love Donna Karen, so that was a bad example. But, <laughs> um, but it was it was really shocking. Then, two thousand seven. They, I think 2007 was the first time, and the only reason I, you know, when I did research for my book, I had to look up, I wanted to know who was the first person, like where did this start, you know, and basically one girl got invited to New York Fashion Week when it was at Bryant Park, and she took photographs and put it, sat next to Ann Winner, who had no idea, because people started knowing, 2006 it came in, 2007, the word had gone out for these bloggers, bloggers are the big thing. And everybody knew they had to be nice to bloggers, but nobody really knew why yet and what kind of impact they had. Now, the gatekeepers, the editors and buyers did not like bloggers because one of the, like the famous shots is, I think it was like 2008, where You had the blogger sitting next to our high-end gatekeepers. So you had Anna Werner sitting next to Brian Boy. And Brian Boy was kind of like one of the first ones. I don't know if everybody knows who that is, but he was kind of one of the first blogger influencers that kind of took off. Do do you know? I don't know if you know who he is. I don't know who he is. No, 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 no. Which is really, like, incredible because he – Him and his pack were like the first fashion bloggers. But here was the thing. They were sharing photographs of the runway before all the traditional ways we as the industry would see it. So basically, the consumer was seeing a trend before the forecasters, before the designers, before the buyers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We'll get back to this episode in 20 seconds, but real quick, did you know that the SFD podcast is sponsored by you? We don't interrupt your listening experience with ads and instead rely on your support. There are three ways you can do that. One, tell a friend about the podcast. Two, sign up for the email list at soheidi.com email. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email. Three, write a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for supporting the SFD podcast.
1: Now back to the episode. So that's, and, and I still remember 2013 at Magic, we had um, Teen Vogue in our social house and we invited bloggers. And I remember looking at the woman that was organizing it going, but wait, they can't shoot the trade show because it's not even on the floor yet. What are they shooting? What? and no it was like because nobody knew everybody was just letting them take photographs and here's the thing once you give the indus, once you give consumers access to behind the scenes you don't take that away yeah it it just can't be taken away but here here's the cycle now so if you don't have gatekeepers saying you know designers would be a gatekeeper too because they have to design the product right a buyer has to buy the product and an editor has to feature the product so if those three people aren't in charge of saying these are the trends for fall and you now open it up to everybody contributing and having the internet to actually have the power to purchase it so if it's about dark denim and everybody's heavily investing the gatekeepers in dark denim, but one person sees, you know, bleach denim, she'll go to eBay and buy the bleach denim. She's not going to go to the retailer. She's going to go to eBay because this is also the internet. One thing that eBay completely changed was the vintage thrift store industry Yeah, because You know, now you can get thrift items. You know, not everybody loves going through bins of clothes. (laughs) You know, uh, some people want it nicely where I'm looking for a vintage 70s Van Halen T-shirt. Right. You know, whereas maybe that's at opening ceremony by a really cool brand. But hey, I can go on eBay and buy the original, which is important, very important to the consumer. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that is you know, without getting too like (laughs) complex, that really is what happened. And then you have that happening in two thousand seven. And then guess what happens in two thousand eight? Yeah. We have a total total crash in our market.
0: Yeah.
1: So the poor fashion industry is going, Okay, wait. So now not only is the whole thing crashing, but we also have all these problems by these bloggers and this Instagram's not even in the game yet. Okay, this is like Facebook, you know, MySpace is dying out, uh, Twitter is starting to make, you know, a conversation here. So we haven't even hit that. So that is also the time that with Bill Glazer's company, he decided that he was probably going to step down. He also was. Older at this point and didn't really want to reinvent the company. Yeah. And this is also right when I got introduced to the trade show Magic and started realizing that those customers were not getting trend reports. And what happens if I did trend reports for the Magic um, customer? And so I started doing trend reports for women, men, kids, activewear, and then also sourcing. So, just fabrics, like what fabrics. And I had had the background because I had done it for all those different companies I mentioned. Yeah. So, trends on fabric. I mean, it was when you do a trend report, even if it's for juniors you don't just look at juniors, you look at everything. And then, like I was mentioning, like the cargo pocket at Nordstrom, you look at a trend and then see how it's translated.
0: Right.
1: So I could easily do that. And that that started, by the time I started doing that, I wanted to say it was like 2012. I started doing those for, for Magic. And then I started also... Um, teaching. And one of the things that I wanted to teach was blogging, and which is funny. And then that class, actually, my first class has two really big bloggers now out there um, that I made create a blog. And it's funny because now they're like, you know, because of you, I get to go to Europe all these times. I'm like, yeah, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool, yeah. And what I what I actually kind of didn't mention is – When I decided to do the trends for magic, I, okay, so no longer, so this is where the shift. So before it was, okay, you're, you're in London and you see a trend on the street. You see someone wearing a certain pair of pants. Okay. And then you go to the next city in Paris and you see the same pants, but worn a little differently. And then you go to Germany, and you see the same pants, but worn, again, differently. So there's three people, three different cities, wearing this pant. Then I go, well, what's going on with this pant? And then I find out some more information about the pant, and I mark that as one of the trends to watch. Okay? Okay. Well, now, I'm blanking on the name of the the company, but there was a site where... They had bloggers, but it was a website where different bloggers all over the world would share their looks. And I was looking at the site going, okay, I'm getting more out of this one-page trend-watching than I could get out of booking three different cities. Wow. So it switched when I came to magic, and that's why I call it trend science, is I actually spend more time observing What people are wearing on different websites, um, different blogs, different social media platforms. But then, what I do is I dive in the back end of it and do more data science. So, I do more scraping of on Pinterest right now what are the two common shoes people want to wear with jeans? So, I'm not a data scientist. I work with different people, and we basically, in a positive light, what do people say they wear with jeans? And from that, we came out with Converse and High Heels.
0: Oh, and so there's special tools, and obviously you have access to people who can yeah. scrape this data, and you formulate conclusions based off of that. Yes. Okay. But
1: this, and this was in, like, twelve, and nobody was really doing that yet.
0: Yeah, I um, imagine. It
1: just wasn't... Now, WGSN now has some really great analytic tools that allow you to do that. Um, there's other companies that definitely have that, but there's also you know different ways of doing that. But, but the idea was that before we would go to those different cities and it was more like what's happening in London, right? Where now when you do trends, you look at what's happening in the world right now. Because most... You know, most people's Instagram feed is not limited to just U.S. people they follow. Right. It's global. So no longer can a trend be really only one. Yes, you can, you know, yes, certain people wear things in L.A., certain people wear things in New York, London, Paris, Amsterdam, wherever you are. But when it comes to a new trend coming on, typically you can find it globally. And that that's the trick. And that also... Like at Magic, when I would talk, you know, I would do these presentations, but I didn't do it to sell my service. I didn't do the talks to have them buy a particular service. I would do something like this and tell them, now let me show you some ways that you can start to look at these influencers and start to decipher trends. Because, you know, at that type of trade show, you have everybody from a mom and pop to, you know, an Urban Outfitters.
0: Right, and the mom and pop doesn't have access to data scientists no. and these tools. So, like, in in I don't know how quickly you could give some advice, but people out there listening who may not have access to those tools, like, what do you advise them to do to use the technology and use Instagram and use Pinterest, use whatever resources they have to start doing
1: some analysis of this stuff on their own? Well, you know, it depends. You know, the thing is, it really depends on what they do. Okay. And part of you know so so within all that we have influencers are starting you know our new word you know our new way of influence because influencers have always been around it's just now they're social media influencers yeah um and uh, like one of the things that i talked about this last time was tiktok you know half of my audience was like a what talk? What's a TikTok? What is that? <laughs> um, and I'm like, well, it's it's basically if you want to tap into Gen Z, you need to know TikTok. Um, and I would I started tracking influencers and trends that way. So typically, I tell people. Oh, I was going. I was talking about influencers. Sorry. So I I tell people to track their influencers. Look at the platforms that their audience is on. So if your clients are anywhere in the age of like. 12 to 18 they're on tiktok okay so then you take it as what is your niche what is your specialty what do you do i mean i've even had people that did ski pants that were at magic um so then i say okay well where's your audience what are they doing what are they sharing and then the other thing is what are some keywords that fall in these ski pants so Um, like one of them would be skiing or ski, ski outfit, things like that. So then I break it down by hashtags. So you figure out what are some of the keywords, which you already should have because it's on your, your website, because that's how people come to your page. So you pick up the keywords and then you can go, I love Instagram for creating following hashtags. So you can follow the hashtags of the keywords that, Best, not like a general like ski. If you put ski, like it's going to be it's too, too many much. things, right? But maybe even doing some competitive analysis where you would look at who's your competitor and what hashtags are being used for them, and what does that look like? Because then you can start to break down not, not from the way you think the market looks, but what are people sharing and what does it look like right mm-hmm. now? So yeah, it it doesn't have the tools basically. Go through and get rid of things that aren't relevant, you know. But really, it's it's you can sit there and you can go through the hashtags and see what's relevant, and then what are your trend watching? I mean, uh, my trips when I would be and I would see all these people walking. Hundreds and hundreds of people are walking by me on like Oxford Street, um, a, a front of tar, uh, Top Shop, and I would sit there and take photographs. But I don't shoot everybody. I would just take photographs of the ones that were interesting yeah so from all that then you pick new influencers now I think we all know at this point your influencer doesn't have to have a million followers your influencer the whole micro influencer is really important because even if you have someone that has a thousand people that follows them but a thousand people that is your perfect customer is way more valuable so look for the micro influencers that align with your brand. And, you know, two ways the marketing side of me comes out where it's like that's a perfect person to collaborate with.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) But
1: it's also the person to see... Okay, well, what are they sharing? What are conversations? And you also get discovery. Maybe you find out a festival that's happening that you didn't know about. Not everybody is going to Coachella and, you know, Bottle Rocket. They're not all going to that. There's tons of other smaller micro festivals that could be equally as important. Then you follow that festival. Then you get insight about that festival. You know what I mean? So it is kind of this connecting of the dots. Yeah. And it does require a little bit more research, whereas you don't get a dashboard that gives you it all. You know what I mean? But but you also, you know, there's something about the organic part of a research for your company where, and and this is actually a problem right now with data companies. So um, so as an academic, I, I go back and forth. I go, what's going to help my industry? And then I also go to the, Well, wait a minute, what are some things that are a problem and why are they a problem and how can we fix this? So one of the things right now is there's so many dashboards of data that designers and marketers don't even have time to go through it all. Yep. It's just like, okay, well, you want me to do this, that, this, and then still look at this and find trends. Are you crazy? I will never have enough time. (laughs) like, so I'm working on looking at different ways, calling it marketing intelligence. So intelligence is anything data, but how do I go through that and really decipher what are the strong things I should focus on? But so, yeah, I mean, if you don't have access to a big budget, which who does really, um, You can do it more of your mining that way. Um, There... Does that make sense? No, it is makes that... total
0: sense. I mean, it's just a matter of like, like you said, like starting on maybe Instagram or Pinterest and picking up on a few things based off of hashtags. And then just like, you kind of just have to follow the rabbit hole and you're like, oh, you discover this other thing. And once you kind of collect all that information, that data on your own, you can start to pick up patterns. And part of it is, you know, visually what you see for patterns, but part of it too, I think is, you know, what do you, what does your eye interpret? And you have to go with your gut and your confidence as a design designer or a fashion forecaster or a trend scientist and say like, well, maybe not trend scientists. If you were doing that, you would have access to more robust analytics. But if you're DIYing this, um, like, what do you see? How do you interpret this? And sometimes it's like, you know, even if you're not doing fashion forecasting as a designer, it's up to you to have the confidence to say, this is, this is what's going to happen next. And it's almost like you defining what's going to happen next by collecting some of that information and then interpreting it how you see fit.
1: Yeah. And I think, yeah, no. And, and here's the thing, you know, there is no, as, as there's some amazing software out there that can show you everything. Yeah. Like everything. I mean, from what people are buying at Nordstrom, I can tell you what they're buying online right now. I can tell you what shoe's buying, what color's buying, when they restocked it, what size they restocked. I can tell you when Urban Outfitters sent out their newsletter, what time they sent it out, how did that correlate with what sold. But here's the thing. Everything still takes time. Yeah. So even though they have a dashboard. So one of the things that if, you know... Most companies that are smaller don't need a forecasting company because they have their finger more on the pulse of what's happening. And with that being said, you understand your customer should always have a persona. You should know them. Like anthropology has three personas. They have names and they define who their customer is. And if you can do that and if you don't do that, you should do that because you can't just say it's me that that's not really that's not really understanding your customer because they aren't exactly you. So putting a persona who they are and then finding what does that look like on social and then seeing what they share and what they do, it's it's important for you in real time where I used to have to go around the world to do this. You can literally do it from your chair and <laughs> see what's happening.
0: Yeah, you know? Yeah
1: and i think that's really important because you know forecasting today I'm, I'm, i am i'm i you know i went to quantitative research because i need to measure how many people like that gene And of those people, how many of those people were bots and don't count? How many of those people actually count? Then what influencers are going... I mean, it is kind of a science without doing the data science of it. But, you know, once we took down the curtain and we brought the consumer onto the runway and we show them runway, we show them behind the scenes, we also train them to want more things immediately once amazon did prime and nobody is buying something go i could get it tomorrow what or i could wait four days no i want it tomorrow (laughs) i want it tomorrow yeah so you know forecasting is a little bit of psychology because that basically is one of the drivers of change that changed how people shop when people see something, they want it. Nobody is watching the runway shows and saying, oh, I can't wait to have that in six to eight months. No, you know, the consumer is doesn't think they're seeing uh, a really cold boot. And now they're on the Internet looking for that boot. And then here you go. Let me give you an app that does like Shazam for fashion. And let me give you all this. And then, you know, ASOS did it where you could click on a shoe and then it would go through their database and it would pull the shoe they have. That was the closest. But then there's sites that have an app where you, you click onto it and it searches all of Google, you know, for that shoe. Right. You're going to find it. It may be on eBay, but you're going to find that shoe. So when we teach consumers and you know, I think it's important forecasting, yes, you have to know fabric. Yes, you have to know body shapes and designers, but you equally have to understand the consumer, their behavior, how things can shift, and you have to have an idea of what's happening on social that surrounds your persona of your consumer. So knowing what music they like. Spotify accounts, knowing what Movies are coming out. Like, I spent probably 15 minutes at Magic just going over all the movies that are coming out. I call costume designers the new influencer because, let's face it, we all watch these shows and we fall in love with these characters. Well, there's a costume designer behind that. Yeah. So, I went over who the key costume designers are and who you should follow and what's happening with the runway. I mean, Sorry, the runway. What's happening with the movies coming out. And you know, how like Harlequin, how her cost designer was like next level and was also part of like sex in the city. And of course, you know, the costumes are going to be amazing. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it is, it is in a way to be a forecaster. You have to be curious. You also have that drive to find out, well, why is that trend popular? Like if there's a trend, you want to know where did that come from? And I don't know if I should add one more thing, but there's another word that people should also think about. It's called uh, zeitgeist. So zeitgeist is a German word for, you know, basically the spirit of the time. And the spirit of the time is what is popular in this decade so for instance you would take each of the decades and let's say everybody's talking about 90s right which was funny because actually at magic I talked about the 2000s because (laughs) all the tv shows are coming back so I mean it's 20 years later that's it that's you know you know my students are collecting vintage from like 2004.
0: Right, and who is it that's doing a line based off of uh, Jennifer Aniston's Friends' friend's character,
1: Ralph Lauren. Ralph
0: Lauren, right, right, right. Which is yeah. like I, 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 didn't wasn't a big Friends watcher, but that's from the 2000s, right? Yeah, yeah. But
1: but he, but here's the thing, like my teenage daughters have watched every Friend episode because of Netflix.
0: Oh yeah.
1: So things have come back. So right. even though
0: they weren't even born when it came out, no. <laughs>
1: but their friends are following all these shows, like you know, Gilmore Girls, Gossip Girls, all these shows. So, hi, did I mention how complex, like, sometimes forecasting is? So not only do you have to see what's coming, what's happening right now, I often go through Netflix and find out what's trending.
0: Oh, right. Even <laughs> if it, it doesn't matter if it's new or not. Just no. what are people watching? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and then, like, what can you pull out of so, that? Oh, yeah.
1: Right. And, you pull out, and then, you know, I assure you that was part of why they're bringing Gossip Girl back, right? You know, because it it does really well on Netflix, and then you have other things like, you know, you have your streaming software, right? Like you have Netflix and Hulu. Well, um, Warner Brothers was like, "Wait a minute, these are all our shows. We're going to do our own." So they're working on their own,
0: right?
1: So, yeah, but it's it's it's. You know, using the zeitgeist, being able to decipher the decade and what was really popular in that decade. That's your your basic research that, you know, as a designer, you're already understanding, not when something was invented, but what was popular in that time. But the key is not to just do it for fashion. You want to do it for architecture. You want to do it for art. You want to do it for music. You want to do it for political, social issues that are coming up. Technology you know, you do it in all aspects and then you have a really good picture of what happened in that decade. So when you see a movie or something coming out, you go back to your your research and you're able to really figure out well which what area here would be important for me to know. So besides looking at influence, this is another way of looking looking for trends.
0: Okay, I mean, it is very multifaceted there's so many layers to it, and it's clear why this is often you have a whole team dedicated to this or you outsource it and you you know you work with an agency to provide you with the research and the reports because there's you know I think you can as a designer, you have the opportunity to maybe do a little bit of this, but like it's so complex and and multi layered um which is really I, yeah, go ahead,
1: I, no, I was gonna say so. Here's the thing, and that's why, like, like let's say you do graphics, yeah, you know, maybe what would be more towards you is, you know, you would look at one part of the things that I I mentioned, right? You know what I mean? Whereas now, if you're in charge of a whole line, then yeah, you you're aware of everything, right? And and I know designers are doing their own research, but I also know that, you know, if you want because. It depends on what type of designer. Because some designers, they don't want to look at runway because they don't want to be influenced by another designer. Right. So that designer is looking more of like the subculture kind of things that I was mentioning. Whereas if you're mainstream and you just want to keep your job to make sure that you're designing (laughs) things that are on cue, then go out of the box of just looking at runway. Look at some of the... Um, popular culture things that could influence your design, you know, and I think you don't have, I mean, unless you're starting your own service, you don't have to do all that, right? you know, but the idea is that you do all that and then, like, magic has been really good for me because I'm on their side, I'm on the designers, I'm on the buyer side, I'm on the merchandiser side because their job's really hard right now. And I want to do all the research and make it in terms where they can figure out, well, what can I do to help? Like, I had a woman buying for a pretty big company all their accessories. And she, I saw her come up to me like a deer in headlights, like, help. Yeah, it's what a lot of I pressure. Do? Yeah. Yeah, help. And we kind of came up with just a really easy thing for her to do, along with, like, the regular work she already does to do her research. And it helped her. And it really kind of made her life a little bit easier. Now it's only been a year, but made her life a little bit easier tracking trends because, like I said, it changes so fast right now. It's just insane. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, there is a lot. And the idea of forecasting has definitely changed. There's, you know, I love WGSN. I'm the biggest fan. I really am. But five years ago, I didn't think they were going to make it. I was like, I'm not getting anything out of this. And then I remember when WGN and StyleSite merged. That's like, if people don't know who StyleSite was, it was basically like saying Coca-Cola and Pepsi joined as a team. Yeah, I remember StyleSite. And it was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> But it also, you know, kind of changed the way they did things. And they did realize they need to look at more of the science part of it. Yeah. They're amazing with, like, lifestyle trends. But you also need the practical stuff. Yeah, we all like really pretty pictures and and that would be great. But we got to sell it. We got to sell it. Yeah. So give me the pretty pictures, but give me what's actually – and, you know, af- after, you know, I'm sorry to bring it, but but after nine eleven, but you know I'm helping these brands that are going under, so I wanted to help them. And one of the things that we figured out, we did like a, a, a not a focus group. We literally all got together and we were like, what can we do to not put more companies under that are in fashion? And what we realized is that people were comfortable buying products that they were familiar with. So don't come out next year with a new t-shirt that's completely different do the t-shirt that did really well buy the create the skirt that had already been selling don't try to change the skirt we literally kept it the same and that helped a lot of brands figure out what to do at that time Um, and even 2008 panic so what can we do to help them you know banks are no longer loaning to produce for you know you need to put that order out for that big department store, but now the bank just pulled all your funding. So what are you going to do? But yeah, there, you know, I started in 1990. (laughs) So I've seen a lot. Yeah. And I, I love right now my position of being able to help, um, you know, designers and, and buyers and merchandisers at magic, because it also helps my research when I, do the presentations and kind of make it a little bit more spot on what's yes the pretty pictures but then also a very practical sense of what can you do right now that can give you some guidance
0: yeah um no, no no great great overview and some really awesome takeaways for anyone listening who is you know just trying to make sure their 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 designs are a little bit more spot on and that at the end of the day the consumer does purchase them because that's the goal Um, I know we're already a little over time. Do you have a quick two minutes to maybe give some advice to people out there listening who want to go into a career like yours, want to go into fashion forecasting, or maybe I should say trend science now, and what might they want to be doing to prepare for breaking into that space in fashion?
1: Well, I mean, some of the things that i would suggest is in in forecasting nowadays um you really have to understand the social media side of it but also the back end of social media so analytics and and insight and that can be as easy as taking your um instagram um and turning it into a business so that you can see the back end insight ah. and just understanding that um I also think, because you, as a forecaster, you you really just want to be well-rounded. You, if you're already a designer and you're already, you know, fabrics, you know, you're able to to talk construction, you're able to talk details, that's one part of it. Now you're going to have to switch it up also and know the back end of, what are some of the ways that I can use social media tools to kind of help give guidance? And then you kind of need to step back and look at all trends, what's happening, not just fashion. Right. So two really pretty easy sites to go to is like Trend Hunters. And Trend Hunters, they do a lot of um, – I mean – the, the company itself does forecasting for, like, Budweiser, you know. Um, and But they have lots of really cool insight on their site about culture, design, business, you know, sustainability. And it gives you a good kind of snapshot of what's happening in the world. And the other one would be cool hunters.
0: Okay, trend hunters. So and cool, we'll link to both of those in the show notes. Trend hunters and cool hunters.
1: Yeah. Those are, those are really good, you know, just – getting a, a snapshot of what's happening. Cool Hunters is pretty much what WGSN does now for the industry. Um, but you know what? You can get a lot of information from um, Cool Hunter. Okay. So, Very
0: cool. and
1: I know WGSN follows Cool Hunter. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, I know that. Because I see. Well, because I, you know, I call it research. My daughter says I stalk people. So um, I don't stalk. I... I basically, I go on the back end and there's, I mean, there's software right now that I I can look at what everybody follows, but I don't know your name. I don't know where you live. Well, uh-huh. I do know where you live, well, kind of. I know a city. Um, <laughs> but I know different, because a lot of things that the bigger brands want to know is what brands align with them. Yeah. So we look at that. But, but yeah, cool hunter, trend hunter. Um, yeah, I mean, the... The insight that you can get there is looking at the big picture. And I know, like, even with my students, they are really shocked when I teach a forecasting class and, like, we don't talk a lot about fashion until the very end. The first part, I'm teaching them about different galleries that they should belong to and architects that, I mean, architects are very inspiring. Interior architecture, all those things are are contributing to this creative space, and that's what you want. You want you want things that create that kind of give to this creative space. Burberry, when Angela and Christopher Bailey oh, were there, um, <laughs> they they wanted to. They basically hired anthropologists to come up with their new branding.
0: Oh, and wow!
1: They learned about the brand. They learned about everything that Burberry had. Con- Contributed to, and they took that, and that really was their plan of of being able to. They call it cultural marketing, where you look at what your company has and really being able to show others the value in it. So, as a forecaster, you want to have a real. Forecasters are looking that you're a good writer. You have to be a good writer they that's really a big part, unless you're going to just be, if you're going to be in the design element of it, then yeah, then you need to know illustrator. You need to know um, lots of different layout programs. Um, I guess it depends. I, I'm saying it like you're me, but you know, I'm not a designer. Right. So if you're doing flats and you're doing things like that, um, a lot of these forecasters are also looking for graphic designers that can come up with print ideas Okay. because right. that's That's really key for um, them because – well, and you also have to realize those prints do not belong to you anymore. So your name is not on there. You are WGSN, and you are coming up for ideas for companies around the world to use.
0: Right, right. So
1: I know sometimes that there's a hard – it's hard for – I have so many designer friends, so I know – half of my friends would never want that job because their designs, their illustrations are their illustrations. Yeah. And even if it's a graphic illustration, but they're looking for that as as the higher kind of level jobs, they're looking for the strong writers, they're looking for people that understand analytics. And that could be as easy as going on Google. They don't give certificates anymore, but you can do Google Analytics. It's, it's a way of thinking. It's like... I guess the best way would be like if you know Illustrator, you pretty much understand most of the drawing programs out there. You have layers, you have, you know, you understand Right,
0: right, right. you can adapt it easily.
1: Exactly. So if you can just put your head around what does that mean analytics? What how does that work? How do you measure? So if you go online and go to Google Analytics and you can do the classes, they're I believe they're free. Um And just have that thought process of being able to understand it. I think that's really good.
0: Okay. So just being able to sort of look at data, assess it, and then like draw some conclusions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the the other thing is like, let's say you're really into sustainability. Okay. And you're like, well, yeah, I could write. I I like sustainability. Okay. Can I get a job? Like what's going on? Um, So then my question would be, well, where have you written now? I know a couple of people at WGSN, and they're like Wendy. They're selling me. They're sending me their Facebook page of what they wrote oh. or their Instagram page. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. So, my suggestion to you is always have your website. So even if it's just your name, write a really good blog post about sustainability. Okay. And then post that on LinkedIn. Oh. So LinkedIn. Once you post on there. That also becomes SEO friendly, so your search engine people can find it. Now they find your name and sustainability. So the more posts, the more things you share, the more you're going to be ranked higher in that particular area. Okay. So it's a good way of marketing yourself. But then when you do knock on the door to get that job and that in that forecaster, they can look at what you've done. So.
0: Okay, so I mean, kind of depending on where you want to go into it, writing, data analysis skills, um, obviously a lot of the design software and fabric knowledge and construction and details, like you know what the, what's this pointy collar actually called, that sort of thing can be really really valuable. I mean, it's, it's kind of a lot, but if you already have a, if you already have experience in the design space, you're just adding a few more layers to that.
1: Yeah, 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 and it, it's because it, I. As I was speaking, I, I'm thinking, okay, if you want what I did for the company, you would need this. But I also know over the years, I've talked to enough people that, I mean, if you can imagine when I first started off and I'm talking to people and they're like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I go to <laughs> Europe five times a year. Yeah. Yeah. The internet kind of ruined that too for me because <laughs> it was like, I can get a lot of information sitting there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's like really helpful and. It's funny because I actually was not gonna say anything about my book, but but it actually could help if you're interested. Because yeah, what is talk, your book? Um, I talk about a lot of the different um, aspects of uh, how the industry was, how it changed, how mm. you use social media. Um, so it, it's called Social Media for Fashion Marketing, and okay. that's because the the editor made me do that. But then the (laughs) subtitle is storytelling in the digital world. Okay. So I like the brackets, the same publisher as Harry Potter, only I didn't really, it's not a moneymaker, let's just put it that way. But it's my heart and my soul into this because I wanted to give something to what did social media do to the fashion industry? Yeah. And that's really what it's about. And it's about marketing, but it, it lays the line of how how the industry used to be, how it's changed, and how you can become relevant. It even explains what data science is. It talks about social media measurement tools. And um, it, it wasn't, because some of my friends are like, you wrote a book on social media. It's not going to be outdated. And I'm like, I didn't teach you how to use Instagram. <laughs> I told you how it impacted because we're going to see more. Yeah. I mean, we have, look at TikTok. I mean, TikTok was musically. And TikTok has... You know, huge. And, and these influencers, because the, gen, the younger Gen Z, you know, we kind of go, oh my gosh, they have, you know, 150,000 followers. That's like huge. If you look down at a true Gen Z influencer, you're going to see their likes start at 50,000 likes and their comments are in the thousands. Yeah. It's different. They, you don't have a half a million. You have 150,000 people that are even more engaged than they've ever been. Yep. So it's it's like, whoa, okay. So that is way more powerful. It's great to have followers, but engagement is, that's like... Priceless. The lotto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah So, yeah.
0: So cool. Um. So if people want to connect with you, what is the best way to do that? They can check out your book, but are you on LinkedIn or...
1: I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah.
0: Okay. Perfect. We'll link to your LinkedIn and the show notes. And then I would love to wrap up by asking you the question I ask everybody at the end of the episode. And that is, what is one thing people never ask you about working in fashion that you wish they would?
1: Um, wow. Gosh. Yeah. Let me prep for that one. Let me see. Um, (coughs) I guess, I guess the biggest thing is, um, you know, for me, and even in my role as a teacher now, it's like I love my my industry. I love the fashion industry. I do, and but I also know that it is an industry that um, I wish people would ask more about. What does it take to be sustainable in my in my world in fashion? Mm. And I have changed my position and what I do, and you have to be adaptive. But you also it is not the industry you go into that if you don't want to work really hard. You <laughs> you it just you just can't and to be sustainable you have to work really hard, yeah. but you also can't be scared of educating yourself. Yeah. Whether it's through something like what you're doing right here, I think you know, any kind of reading, any kind of knowledge, I think really honestly I'm I'm very sad for the companies that I see going under and the brands I see going under and honestly if i was to say what's the common thing it's because they didn't educate themselves on how the world is changing and how to fit into this new world
0: it's very easy to become complacent and comfortable with what you're doing very,
1: yeah very very easy and it it's really you can see these companies that could do it but they choose not to because they think the way they're doing it is is the only way
0: yeah but, oh, I yeah. love like that point. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your um, expertise and knowledge. Really, really interesting stuff, Wendy. I really appreciate your time.
1: Oh, good. Well, thank you so much. And like I said, if you know anybody has any questions, I'm more than happy to get back to them. But yeah, awesome. thank you so much. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much to each and every one of you for listening. Thank you so much to Wendy for the awesome interview. And thank you to the two behind-the-scenes people, my husband, Mark, who handles all the tech and editing and makes sure that the audio sounds good so that it... It is nice to listen to in your earbuds Um, as well as thank you to Tara, my right hand woman who does so much behind the scenes to help coordinate the podcast interviews, make sure they get published and out to you on time. And she does a ton of stuff that you don't see, but really helps make the show happen. So thank you, Tara and Mark. I really appreciate both of you. And again, thank you to you for listening. We wouldn't be here without each of and every one of you as a listener. So I really appreciate each of you. Uh, As a quick reminder, SFD is way more than just a podcast. And I want to make sure that you get access to my best free resources to help you get ahead in the fashion industry. You can head on over to SoHeidi.com slash email. It's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I dot com slash email to get access to all of my free stuff. And if email is not your flavor, I do hang out on Instagram, which is also just at SoHeidi, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I. As always, if you want to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes by scrolling down wherever you're listening. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you in the next episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast.